together. Our Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we just thank you so much for this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for gathering us here and for, uh, Lord, being with us so far in this service. And I just pray for my brother Jeremy that your anointing would be on him and that you would anoint our ears as well and, and that you would bless us this morning and draw us closer to you. Send us home <coughs> challenged but also changed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. And, Lord, I pray for those of us that will be traveling this afternoon for safety and for a blessing at that wedding down south, that you would bless the new home that's established. And, Lord, that you would bless those who are involved in harvest right now with safety there and, and uh, Lord, usefulness in your kingdom. Help all of us to be useful in your kingdom, Lord, to whatever you've called us to. So, Lord, this next hour we commit to you. Just pray that your, your presence would be here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you, brother. Well, good morning. <clears throat> yes, we pray that the Lord's presence would be here. Um, so, for some time I've been just meditating what would the Lord have me to speak. And now I feel like I'm, a couple weeks ago I spoke about how I prepare a sermon. So now I feel like I'm under the gun like Brother Glenn was talking about. Um, but, anyway, a couple weeks, maybe three, four weeks ago, just been praying about, you know, what, what's the burden of the Lord? And before I was asked... I had this burden of just something on the area of Christian growth, something on the area of are we, are we growing in the Lord? But then I also had this burden of the fear of the Lord, and I didn't know which one it would be. And, um, and then as time came this past week, as I was praying um, in my actual reading, I came across this passage in Luke that I'd like to look at this morning, Luke chapter 8. And I could see how both of them have so much to do with each other. And so that's what I'd like to do this morning is I want to talk about, are you growing? Are you growing in the Lord? Um, if you were to stop and look back at your life, the past two years, maybe think back two years ago, where were you at? And what are you today compared to two years ago? What are you today compared to a year ago? What are you today compared to six months ago? Now, um, I must confess that I felt like even since we've come back from Belize, it's been so busy. It's been so much going on and so much America, you know, schedules and uh, affluence and, and Amazon and uh, business and work and just all of the things of America. Costco, should I say. Um, I can sense that my heart has not been the same and, and I've felt... Like I'm not as close to the Lord, and and that's hard when you're asked to preach, and then you're you're kind of like, I don't feel very close to the Lord. But I knew there was a burden on my heart, and so as I looked at this and read this uh, in my own reading, I I became convicted, and as I studied for this, I became convicted in my own heart and life that uh, how easy it is for us to grow cold or fall away or wither. And so, where's your life today? Is it bringing forth fruit? We're going to look at the parable of the sower. And I have a question to you as we read this. If Jesus were to return today, right now, or if you were to die right now, would you, where would you be at? Which one of these people would you be at? Which one of these seed uh, places that the seed fell would you be at? My burden is that we would be very careful, fearful, even of the Lord, and watchful, that we would not grow complacent or lazy in our walk with the Lord. So let's turn to um, 
Luke chapter 8. We'll just pick it up in verse 4. And when many people, or much people, were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And as it was, trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable uh, is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which... When they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. We'll stop there. So the Lord puts out this parable of a sower in a field, and, and he shows us a story. And he, he, he tends to teach in stories, and I like that. But an interesting thing he says right in there, he that hath ears to hear. So even this morning, there might be some here that just don't understand this. So this, this message is, is towards those that have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. Where are we in these in this parable. <clears throat> now he starts it off and he's with this parable with a, a field, a sower. You know, a sower is going out and he's planting. He's planting the seeds. He's scattering the seeds as he throw them. They would land different places. Some would land on maybe a, a, a hard road or, or some kind of traveled path where people have walked, where the, the dirt is compacted. Some would fall where there was rocks and stones in the, in, in the dirt. And others would fall where there were thistles and thorns and briars growing. And the last would fall on some very well good ground tilled up. And as his disciples came to him wanting to know what this parable meant, he starts off with the first thing he defines is the seed. He said the seed is the word of God. And we need to remember that. Now, I remember growing up, I, was, I grew up all my life in church life, and we have words in church words that we just kind of get used to hearing from little babies. Like, for example, the word church. We think of a building. We're going to church, and uh, it's at the church. I left my phone at the church, or I left my Bible at the church. When really, as we look at the Bible and we do a Bible definition of the word church, it's, it's people. It's a congregation. When we come here, 
we're the church. Well, the same thing is the same with the word of God. We hear this a lot from sermons. We hear it from books, the word of God. And, and most of my life, I've heard the word of God as referred to this. And truly, this has the words of God. This contains the scriptures. But if we read this and we let it define itself, we find that many times it's referred to as scriptures, the things that are written, the things that we take that are inspired from God, written from uh, men that heard God's voice and wrote it. But what is the word of God when the scriptures refer to it as the word of God? What is the word of God? So before we go on with this parable, I want us first to just take a quick survey through the New Testament and even the old a little and say, what is the word of God? Because this seed is incredibly important. This seed is what determines life. Where the seed falls is incredibly important. And so we'll need to define that too. But what is the seed, the word of God? Now, for the sake of time, I, I remember I told you a couple weeks back when the problem is don't come with so many notes and uh, I don't want to, I, I have too many, I have too many verses. So we're just going to have to skip some here, skip some there. And if you want to talk about it more some other time, come talk to me. But um, I, you know, it's hard when you're getting up here to preach to figure out how much you should have. And then right at the last minute, you're like, I need to be weeding stuff out, but we're leaving. And it's very hard. Uh, so um, in Acts chapter four, we can turn there. Let's look at the apostles and how they considered the word of God, what they they saw as the word of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Now, they were, the, the apostles had come together. They were being persecuted. Uh, and they were praying fervently. They were praying that God would do something. And if we were to have time to read all the prayer they had, it was right before verse 31, and they finished this very determined, very zealous prayer, verse 31, and it says, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and then it says, and they spake the word of God with boldness. So we see right away that in connection with the word of God is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost was the gift of the New Testament. It was this, this being now from the Old Testament where Man tried to obey the law in his flesh. Now God says, I'm going to give you the spirit that's in you and gives you a new heart and a new law. And what it speaks in you, when they spoke it out as they were filled, was called the word of God. As they spoke these things, even if it was never written, they were speaking the words of God. So we see right away that the word of God is not just simply writing. It's also something that was spoken Flip over a couple pages to Acts chapter 6 and look in verse 7. And the word of God increased, and the numbers of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. So as this Holy Spirit was moving in people and moving in the apostles and they were preaching and, and the book of Acts was going forth, it says the word of God was increasing. So we see this thing is not just something that's static. It's not just something that's black and white, but it's something that's growing, increasing. In fact, there's another passage and I see if I can quickly find it here. 
It's in Acts 19. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just read it to you. It says, so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. And so we see in the book of Acts that the word of God is increasing. It's growing. It's growing mightily. In Acts 13, you don't need to turn there. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. So they were preaching it. In Acts 18, they are teaching it. It says, Paul continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. I think this is a very good definition of the word of God. It says here in verse 12 of chapter 4, the word of God is quick. Now, this is an old English word. If you were to actually look at that Greek word and look through the whole New Testament, it's many, many, many times translated alive and living. It's even in old English, it was translated living. They decided to put the word quick here, but it means alive. And so the word of God is quick or it's alive. It's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of asunder of soul and spirits and joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. The word of God is alive. It's not something that's just static. It's not dead. It's not just words on a page, but it's alive. The word of God is like a sword so sharp that it comes in and somehow can divide between our spiritual side of us, our spirit and soul, and our fleshly side of us, joints and marrow. And so it can come in. And then not only that, it can show us right in this uh, moment what my actual intent is, what my actual thought is. So as I'm even standing here preaching to you, it could come in right now and say, you're doing this to get man's approval. And I could sense that if I if the word of God was speaking in my heart, that's much more than just reading a word on a page. Now, so how do I think of the word of God? I think of the word of God like this. We read this, the scriptures and and the word of God that was uh, given to Paul and he wrote those down. But it becomes the word of God to me when the Holy Spirit makes it alive to me. As I'm reading this this this, this, uh, verse and the Lord convicts in my heart and and comes in like that that sword and, and, and shows me my thoughts and my intents. And he lays it open like it says in Hebrews, it says, Um, neither are there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened in the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He, he lays it open and I'm just standing there before him. That is the word of God. It's something in between the written words of, of black and white and, and what's happening in my heart. It's something in between. And I'm going to say that's the Holy spirit in between changing that, changing it to being alive and a discerner. Now, this word, the apostles both wrote, Peter and James both wrote, we are born again by the word of God. This seed that we're reading about in this uh, parable of the sower is something that was sown into into the dirt and it became life. And in the same way, Peter says that being born again, not of an incorruptible seed, 
sorry, corruptible seed, but of an incorruptible, not of a seed that can just die and, and that will go bad or, you know, get moldy and become useless, but something that will last. And, and then he says, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth, it's alive, and abideth forever. James says it that he, we have been begotten us with the word of truth, that we could be a kind of first fruits. And then he says, so receive that with meekness. That's, that's uh, meekness is the idea of your power, but under control. I, I remember years back, we talked about a horse under control that could go out into a battle and he wouldn't do his own thing. He would do what his master wants. Receive with meekness the word of God it says, which is able to save your soul. He can engraft that in there and save us by that word of God. What is the word of God? It's alive. It discerns our thoughts. It, it comes in and it produces a new person born again. Paul says it in First Corinthians. He says this, you are saved. And then he puts on an if, if you keep in memory what I preach to you unless you believed in vain. Get This is really interesting. Where he says, if you keep in memory, it's the same word, logos, which is the same word, word. It's the same word when Jesus says, it says in, first, it says in John, that in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was the word of God, and, and the logos was God. Jesus is the word of God. And right here, Paul says, if you keep that in memory... The logos, you are saved by it. We are saved at the beginning by the word of God, and we're saved all the way through by the word of God. <clears throat> and then John says it this way. He says, to you young men, you are strong, he says, and the word of God abides in you. It's living in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Then on top of all of that, as I just mentioned, Jesus is called the word of God. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And in Revelation, it says, Jesus, his name is called the word of God. Now, how great is this? Turn to Psalm 138, and let's read what God thinks of his word. Psalm 138. In verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Isn't that amazing that God has put his word above his own name? This is how important the word of God is. And, and the reason why I took time to really to explain this is because we need to understand what the seed is. We can read this thing all of our life. And if it's not producing fruit, it's not the word of God to us. It has to become something in our heart that produces fruit, that changes us. Now, it may be the word of God, but it's not becoming the word of God for you. Now let's go back to Luke and let's continue on with this passage, Luke chapter 8.
And we are on uh, verse 11. Now the parable is this. They want to know what is the meaning of this parable. The seed is the word of God. We've, we now have a good understanding. I'd like to submit that the word of God is Jesus living in us. It's, it's the whole point of the new covenant. That Jesus became a life-giving spirit to come in, live in us, and guide us. He took away the stony heart, now gave us a fleshly heart. So the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. So he's going to jump right into the first group. Now we have four groups of seeds. Oh, sorry, four groups of where the seed falls. The first group, he says, those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh the word out of their hearts. Now, let's quickly take a moment to say, what is the ground? We're talking about a field here. We're talking about seed that goes into this field. The second major portion of this is the ground, the dirt. What is that dirt? I find it interesting, right in that first thing, he says, the ground or this... Um, Sorry, I'm getting used to a new Bible here. It's very different. My last one got, uh, when we went to Idaho, it got coffee spilled all over it. What a sad day that was. <laughs> okay. Um, it says the devil takes away, verse 11, the word out of their hearts. Where was the word? Where was the seed? It was in their heart. I believe the ground is their heart. So let's think about that. All these four different things we're going to look at are a picture of different hearts. And in this building right now are many, many hearts. And each one of you are in a different place. And I will even submit that I think we sometimes vacillate. Sometimes I find myself, man, I'm really feeling like I'm right here right now. And, and other times here. And that's why we need to continue to be watchful, continue to talk about the subject. So the devil comes and steals away them out of their hearts and then what's the purpose? Lest they should believe and be saved. So what's the purpose of this seed? Is to have us believe and be saved. When the devil can take it out, what happens? We aren't believing anymore. We're not saving. So the first uh, being saved. Um, the first one here, are they that hear and then cometh the devil? Um, I don't know if I want to pass these out or not. Um, let's see here. Here, we'll quickly pass these out. You, One of you young men help me. Or two of you young men. I've got one. Okay, so what I did here is I created a quick harmony of the three gospels that have this story. And I wanted to do this so that we could get the full impact of the story. I'd like you to take this home. And this week, I challenge you in your time with the Bible. Meditate on this so that it can become the word of God in your heart. Right? Go home and ask yourselves, where am I? And Lord, how can I not be here? Look for places in your heart that maybe this is where you are. And by looking at all three Gospels, I found it very uh, encouraging to see all the different aspects. So, 
We already jumped past this first four. We'll just skip all that right now. You look at that later because that's the actual parable. Now, this is the explanation. Now, we're going to look. We're reading from Luke. So everybody go to the far right side. It says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Now, if we look at the other two gospels to the left, we see the word of the kingdom and the word. Okay, back to Luke on the far right. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts. And notice in Luke, we have lest they believe and should be saved. Now, I, I, I labeled this. Now, if you could all put your attention back here, don't look at your papers. That's the biggest problem with passing out papers. <laughs> um, I labeled this the wayside, the completely hard heart. The, you know, th their heart is so hard that, and I don't know that there's many, if any, in here today. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here. The, the seed falls on, and one gospel says it's trodden on, and, and some of the other ones say it's, it's the birds take it up. And so, obviously, this is so hard before it ever gets anywhere, they don't even understand it. That's the problem. It comes to their heart, and it, it's so hard it doesn't stick. I'm sure Roger deals with people like that all the time with your billboard calls, that it's just like you talk, and they're mocking, and it's just, they're not a place that, for the word to stick. And I don't want to spend a lot of time there, because he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's talk about the ones that will make a difference right now. The next one, we'll move on. So everybody go back. Now you can look at your paper. I give you permission. Right here on the far right, we're going to follow in Luke. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Now look to the left. We see gladness in Mark and also joy in Matthew. Now back to Luke on the far right. And these have no root. And uh, I didn't bold it, but if you look in Mark, it says in themselves. So they don't have this root in themselves. Then back to Luke on the far right, which for a while believe. They for a while believe. But in a time of temptation, fall away. Now let's jump over to Mark. It says they have no root in themselves and so endure for a time. But afterward, when afflictions or persecutions arise for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Off to the far left, Matthew, it says, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. So in the second one, which we call um, the stony ground or uh, the rock, the rocky ground, we see that they receive the word. And they're actually excited about it. They actually somewhat understand it. They're excited about the word. It comes in. But then there's some things that take it away. Luke calls it temptation. Mark calls it affliction and persecution. Matthew calls it tribulation and persecution. Now, I don't know that we fall into this category so easily unless we want to say temptation and we want to throw in something like an iPhone or something like that. But that's probably the next category. But this one, I could see being a very big deal in places like uh, China, South or North Korea, um, places where there's pretty heavy persecution. They become a Christian. They're super excited about it. And then persecutions, afflictions start coming. You know, they start being beaten for, for being a Christian. And all of a sudden, they have to make a decision if they are ready to, fall, uh, to follow this word or if they're done with it. And we read about this even with the Anabaptists. Many of them, sadly, ended up recanting and turning back. 
um, because tribulation and persecution really sifts the wheat. And we don't really have that here to sift us as well. And so it's harder to go into that category. But we can see here in the, uh, in the stony ground that it lacked moisture. And I'm wondering if I didn't copy that in. Let's see. Anyway, I have here in Luke 8, 6, it says they lacked moisture. Matthew 13, 5 says they had no deepness of earth. Um, Mark, Matthew 13, 6 says as soon as the sun came up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. So as we can see with this one, as the seed falls into the ground, there's like dirt, but there's rock under that dirt and in that dirt. And so the, the, the roots try to go out and they try to get to the moisture and they try to get to where they can find life. But they don't have they're not able to because as soon as the sun comes out thinking of persecution, they just wither and they fall away and they're offended and they die. And so. Let's look at that heart for a quick minute, I would say that. They were excited. They're not completely hard, but there are some areas that are still too hard in their heart that did not allow them when the, when the persecution and affliction rose, it did not allow them to, to withstand. Now let's move on to the stony ground, or sorry, to the thorns. And this is where I want to spend a little more time and camp out because I really think here in America, this is where we're at. And I la labeled this one thorns and I put off to the right a heart that's not completely surrendered. <clears throat> let's follow along in our little parallel harmony here on the far right it says at and that which fell among thorns are they which when they heard go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection off to the left in mark he puts it and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Matthew says, and the care of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the world and it becomes unfruitful. So in both Matthew and Mark, it says it becomes unfruitful. And in Luke, it says it brings no fruit to perfection, to maturity. Now, I don't know about you, but when you go to get some cherries, I find myself looking for the biggest ones, the crunchiest looking ones, the sweetest ones, right? You're not like, oh, that little piddly, like shriveled up thing. You're not excited to grab that one. That's not, that's not how anybody works. And that's not how Jesus works either. He looks down and he looks at the fruit. And unfortunately, look at the things in this one, the thorns, that can cause us to become unfruitful. And this one, I think, is one of the trickiest. You know, you come in and, and some people come in here right now with a bunch of guns and they say, whoever... We'll just say that Jesus is not the Lord. You may go free. Man, it's going to become really apparent real quick, right? Who's Christians in here and who's not. But you throw Amazon out there and you throw iPhone out there or an Android or you throw um, a laptop out there or you throw vehicles, trucks and cars and diesels and cool combines and all this other stuff out there or schedules or you name it, it's a little more deceitful. 
It's a little more choking, and yet, yet you don't know it. It's a little more easy to come on Sunday morning and sing the songs, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, and yet there's not much fruit. Okay, so I found it interesting that the number, the cares, and then I was looking at the Greek definition there, and it said, through the idea of distraction. So it said, here's the root word for cares, which was actually the word divide. So the root word for cares, the, the underlying word that cares comes from, means divide. But then it says, through the idea of distraction. Think about that. To divide us through the idea of distraction. You ever been sitting talking to somebody and you're in a really good conversation and then somebody all of a sudden over here starts talking about something and you're like trying your hardest to listen to that person but that conversation right behind you is super interesting. Like they're divulging some interesting facts and you're like, whoa. And you don't want to look over there because that'd be rude. And so you're like really listening and then all of a sudden it dawns on you. You haven't been paying attention to the last four sentences of the person talking to you. And then you're like trying to look at him like, I've been listening to you. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a division through the idea of distraction. And so this is a big concern. And I think this is one of these. This, like I said, is our, our battle right here. We were listening to a story about a guy in India, and he just did amazing things for the Lord, traveling and preaching uh, for the Lord. And he came to America, and he said, you Americans are too busy. You have too much going on. And I thought, that is so true. Um, Jesus said it himself in Luke 21. He says, take heed or be watchful to yourselves. Why? Lest any time your heart be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. You know, maybe as you're talking to that person, you're listening to thing. He says something super, super important that you just missed. The day comes upon you totally unaware. Jesus comes back or you die and you don't know when that day. Do you ever do you think do you think anybody ever wakes up and thinks today's the day I'm going to die? I don't. Very rare. Very rare. Uh, I don't think most of the time anybody thinks I'm going to die today. But and so it comes on us unawares. We come upon meeting the Lord unawares. And where are we going to be at? Jesus said, take heed that that day doesn't come on you. And what is one of the things that takes it away from us? The cares of this life. So same idea, same kind of word there about cares. When Jesus said to Martha, you are careful and troubled about many things. Same word when Paul is talking about those that are married have to care for the things of the spouse. And he calls it cares for the thing of this world. I mean, it's just our natural thing we have to do. When we're married, we can't be totally, totally 100% on the Lord because we have to take care of a wife. We have to take care of children. And Paul says, you know, if you need to do that then, and you feel called to do that, do it. But it does pull our hearts and we have to be watchful. Okay, so... <clears throat> It's the same word also where Jesus is talking about not taking thought about what we eat or we drink or what we will wear. Cares, things we are concerned about. May I suggest this? <laughs> this is one of our cares, right, in America? What are we going to be doing tomorrow and the next day and the next day? And if it doesn't get done, what are we going to do? Whew. 
This will get you. This will be a care if we're not careful. Okay, he goes on and says riches, number two. This is the idea. You know what's interesting about this word is that it's translated most of the time in the New Testament about God. God's abundant riches. Oh, the depths of the wisdom, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Doesn't it say riches somewhere in there? Or who hath given to him? Anyway, the adepts and the riches, both there, there it is. It, most of the time in the New Testament, when it's talking about this word, it's talking about God. About his riches, about the Lord and how, how amazing he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The resources of God that we can have in him. And yet, it's like this is a, a rivalry. This is a division. This is a, where we can get off. And that's why I think it's called the God of Mammon and, the, and, and God. It says you can't serve God and Mammon because God and all of his riches... And yet we get our eyes on the world's riches and it replaces somehow. It changes something in our hearts towards God. And so in Hebrews, it's talking about Moses and, he's, and it says, he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. That, and I think that was the same word, riches. See that? He esteemed the, the riches of Christ greater than all the treasures in Egypt. Where do we stand on that? <clears throat> Paul said a warning to Timothy. He said, they that will be rich, if your goal is to be rich, if your heart is to make a lot of money, if your heart is, you know, your, your, your concept in the morning is I got to get to work because I I, the more hours I get and, and it's not towards the Lord. They that will be rich will fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. We're reading about that here in, the, in this parable of the seed. They drown men in perdition and destruction. The, the lust for money where we have our heart set on it. And then he goes on and says, For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. They're no longer in the faith. This is what we're talking about in this parable. <clears throat> so riches. We have cares. We have riches. Anybody? I forgot my wallet. Anybody got a wallet? Got money in it? No cash. Okay, well, here, just give me your wallet. I wish I had cash, but I'll say it this way. I, you, have, you have some money in there? I'll just use this. I submit that this here, Americans, is something that can drown the word of God. And I would hold cash up here. But money, riches, debit cards, credit cards, the love of money. And, and, and it's easy for us to sit here this morning and say, well, I don't do that. But let's take an honest look at our heart because only you and the Lord can determine that. What are you more excited about? The Lord? The riches of Christ? Or about what you can get and buy and upgrade and change? Thank you. Lastly, pleasures of this life. And it says it over on the other side. 
lust of other things. Uh, I think that was over on in Mark. Lust of other things in Luke, pleasures of this life. These are two, uh, an extra category. Root word of pleasures is please. We get caught up in things to please ourselves. James says, you ask, you pray for things, but you don't get it. Why? Because you ask a mist to consume it upon your own lusts. And so we get caught up on our lusts. You know, I've heard one time somebody said, I pray and I'm not getting what I wanted. Um, when, you be, when you have the mind of God in you and the heart of God in you, you're going to ask for the things that God wants. This word is just meaning craving, strong desire. What do you have in your life that is a strong desire that you're not willing to say, you know, Lord, if, you, if I should have that, great. If I shouldn't, that's fine too. I remember it was, uh, I want to say it's Murray. Um, no, not Murray. Um, can't think of the guy's name who did the um, orphanage. Mueller, thank you. That said, he would always get himself into a place of neutrality. He would say, and he wouldn't do the thing until he could get his heart into a place of neutralness, whether he got it or not, and let the Lord deal with it. Do we have a strong desire? You know, it says lust for other things. And I was looking, looking at that a little bit. And the translators decided to put other things. And it just means others. Other. It just, it's just the Greek word other. And they wanted to help you out by putting things. But it's just having your heart on other things. Just, and, and it could be other, just anything other than God. Where we're not, we're not on the word of God, but we're on the, the other things. And it says it chokes it out. And it brings no fruit to perfection. Okay, so. Let's talk about this a little bit more. <clears throat> you guys are all out there in the harvest right now. I went out there and looked in your fields. I picked some stuff. <laughs> now, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, this here is what we're talking about right now in this thing. You know, it, it looks like a blade of grass, but it doesn't have any fruit. Now, what would you do if you went out to Combine and this is all that was stuck up out there? I think your farming bosses would not be very happy. <laughs> and that's what our lives are like. We, we could come to church and sing little grass songs, right? About how great grass people we are. But, <laughs> but when, at the end of the day, this is, this is what we're looking for. You know, and, and this is even what we're looking for. And even... This, it's not as big, but it has potential. And even this one has potential. I mean, they're not all the same, but they all have potential. This one does not have any potential. And it's because of things and money and cares. May I suggest this becomes 
a God in our life. I've really appreciated the book that Brother Roger has given us. We're reading it as a family every morning. And I can see how, how easily technology can be just a replacement for God. And we can, it can creep in so deceitfully because we're so busy. You know, the, the scriptures say this. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. That you may approve things that are... Anybody know what it says? Excellent. That you may be able to bring into your things life things that are excellent. And you know what we do in America? We just have a lot of things that are not excellent, right? And what does that do that creates this, unfortunately? And I can sense it in my own heart. Well, this isn't bad. We have a lot of things in our life we can say, well, this isn't bad. Is that the way we should judge it? Is this isn't bad? Because things that aren't bad create this still. And unfortunately, when this comes along, I had Joshua go and get this. Timothy went out in the hazelnut orchard and cut this. Does that look like it was alive at one point? Could, could anybody tell me that that was never alive? I mean, could, could you make that judgment that this was never connected to a tree? I mean, how would that be possible? You know, Jesus said this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth and a branch is withered. Would you say that thing is withering? And then it says, and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. Is that a good thing? No. And so Timothy went out there and made the, de the decision that this is not a good thing anymore. I don't know how he decided that, but he decided it. And he chopped it and threw it on the ground. And pretty soon they're going to gather it and they're going to burn it. That means this was once connected. It was once receiving life. And it no longer is. And why did Timothy make that decision? He has his reasons. But the Lord gives us the reasons why he will do this to us. Now this is where the fear of God comes in. And this is what I hope we can get. The fear part. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the scripture says. This can happen to any one of us. Jesus said it himself in a parable. He said they came upon a tree and it had no fruit. And they said, let's just chop it down. And the Lord said, no, give it some time, manure it and give it time. But if it doesn't bring forth fruit, chop it down. This can happen. And don't just think that, oh, of course I'm not this. How will you know if you're not this? The scriptures say, by the fruit that comes out of your life. It's very clear in this parable. When the parable's over, Jesus says the last group brings forth 30 60 and 100 times. The clear answer to the, the question to this is, do you have fruit? Brother Mike's been teaching on fruit of the Spirit. Did you just teach on that a couple weeks back when I was gone? Okay. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? <laughs> Kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, long-suffering. These are all things of the fruit of the Spirit. If there's no fruit, then we should not be just thinking it's all right and, and uh, you know, it'll get better and, and, you know, at least I'll get there someday. We should be in fear if there's no fruit. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. It's amazing how both can be in the same place. 
the goodness and the severity. Sorry, I got a lot of illustrations today. I saw this out in my yard. Would you pick that? Or even, even this one. Look at that. Or would you pick this one? I wish I had a real big, juicy, sweet one, but this is all I had. <laughs> you know, the Lord's looking for this. Where is your fruit of the Spirit? And you can't generate it yourself. <laughs> it is generated by the Word of God. And the Word of God abides in there. And, and as you put your focus on the Word of God, these happen. Now, I'm going to write this down really quick. Like, So I, I kind of came up with this idea. We'll put the Word of God in the center. And then we'll just start writing some things on the outside. Busy. I'll just put busyness. Uh, this one's for you ladies. I'm not saying cleaning house is a bad thing. But... Um, We'll put money. Uh, anybody got some ideas what to put up here? You get where I'm going? Expectations. Expectations. That's good. What else? Help me out. Job. Very good. I put on here better job. So we'll think like that. What else? Okay, guys, I got this one for you. Nicer truck. Better fuel mileage. Okay. Cell phones. Amen. And apps. On the cell phones. Okay, what else? What's that? Opinions of people. Opinions, yes. You would look cool at that certain thing, or if you would just have this doctrine. What else? I wrote cool guy or girl. Entertainment. Entertainment. <coughs> I need to quick this, quickly close this. Give me two more. Expenses. Expenses. You could worry about your expenses. You could wish you had more money to have more expenses. Right? Proud look. Proud look. Okay. Um, ease, pleasure. I'll put up here. Um, did I put anywhere about a schedule? Well, I put busyness. But I'll still put a schedule. Okay. That's a lot of things. So what is the purpose of that? Well, this whole parable is about this. And it's about the things, and especially where we stand, because we can talk about tribulation, we can talk about hard hearts, but where I feel the burden is today is these things are what want to choke the word of God. Notice that the word it says, all three say it chokes the word. So this is what I think it really means. As we get our eyes, you know, we put our, instead of having our focus, and I can draw a big line here, let's say we put our focus on here, entertainment. 
You know what happens? It's like that diversion I said earlier, divided through distraction. All of a sudden, we don't hear this as loud and clear. You know, we read our Bible, but it's just not as loud and clear. Or, yeah, you know, uh, that thing is bothering me, but I have something to do. I have a schedule to keep. I've got places to be. And we hear this little faint voice, but we've got to do this. And, it, and it, in my life, it becomes quieter and quieter the more I get distracted with all of these things. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying, it's not just an interesting story. Let's go with my ending thoughts. I said, what was the purpose of this parable? Is he just telling an interesting story? You think it's just an interesting story? It's a warning, I believe. To put fear in our hearts. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. The fear of the Lord prolongs your days. The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. He's telling us that this thing is that important. This is the riches of Christ. And yet, us being human, we can so easily, like a gun in a scope, you know, you're looking at the deer and then all of a sudden the scope kind of misses or goes over here and it's all over the place. The way we're going to have fruit is where is our focus? And I'm not just meaning reading the scriptures. I'm meaning the scriptures becoming alive to you that speak while you're walking through your day and all the things that come into your life and your heart. Where is that focus? Where is your focus? Is this a salvation issue? Luke 8, he said, in verse 12, he said, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of the hearts, lest they believe and be saved. It's a salvation issue. The thing is withered and it's thrown into the fire to be burned. So, where can we go from here? My encouragement is that we all take a hard look, read the book, take a hard look at what this is doing in our life, take a hard look at what our finances and our money and what our heart is on money and Take a hard look at our schedules and our entertainment and uh, what we think others think of us and whether we need a better truck or whether we're concerned of how we look or, or what we're expecting, how life should be. And let's go back to what's the most important, the riches of Christ, the word of God. It's what saves us. It's what keeps us saved. And that's the only way. So we look at our life, we see fruit. If there's no fruit, we go back a step and we say, I must not be listening to the word of God. If we look at our life and we see fruit, we say, I must be listening to the word of God, right? It's that the two work together. So we can easily look. Where's the fruit? If none, it's a problem with listening to the word of God. And that's a problem of the heart because the heart is focused on other things. So thank you for your attention. And um, let's... Let's just work on that as a church and um, fear the Lord.
and hope in his mercy.